You are listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And today we have Shane English with us to discuss this record. Uh, Shane is in Corporate Park, and uh, Patreon listeners may note that we did a trash war talking about his gear and production uh, a little while ago. What's up, Shane? Hello, everyone. Very honored (laughs) to be here. Hey, very happy to have you here. And Very excited to discuss this album with you as we... I've heard that it is one of your all-time favorites. It is. Gray asked me to be on the podcast kind of a while ago, and I've always kind of poured over what exactly I would want to bring on. And this just, this is the one. <laughs> and of course, we're talking about a Splendor Geometrico's Meccano Turbo. Meccano Turbo, I don't know. Pronunciation on this is uh, going to be up to the gods, I think. I was about to say this episode needs a heavy disclaimer of <laughs> please have mercy on the pronunciation. One hundred percent. Something I, I just always ask everyone, please. Yeah. yeah. I've always said Meccano Turbo personally. Okay. Yeah, Meccano Turbo is how I have thought yeah, of like it. Yeah, like machine but... is Machina, so I just say Meccano. All right, Meccano Turbo from 1988, uh, originally on their own label, Disco's Splendor Geometrico. That, of course, being Spanish for Geometric Splendor, taken from... uh, F.T. Marinetti. He was the uh, founder of Futurism. I think that's an interesting touchstone for where this project starts in 1980. I think their first their first official release is uh, eighty two, but they formed in eighty in yeah. the uh, wake of the pioneering Spanish new wave band Aviator Dro. You know, I've never actually listened mm-hmm. to them. They're kind of like a almost. I guess the easiest comparison would be like kind of like a Devo type thing. That would have been my guess. <laughs> I've seen photos, and that would that would have been the guess. But yeah, so originally a trio of Arturo Lanz. Gabriel Riaza and Juan Carlos Sastra. Uh, but by 1990, the lineup had changed to just uh, Arturo and Savio Evangelista. However, this record is from 88, so I think uh, we've still got the proper original lineup on this one. Well, it, I believe, isn't it the duo and then the one guy did the cover? Oh, oh is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Sastra did the cover. It's um, Gabriel Riazza, Jay Pena, and Arturo Lanz on this release. Ah, uh, so it's a, okay, slightly different. From what I understand, Sastra has continued to always do their artwork ever since, like even yeah. up till now. Yeah, and they have good continuity with their artwork, definitely. Yeah, beautiful machines. Yeah, I think uh, I think that the artwork comes across, and yeah, even when you look at sort of like what 2013's Ultrafoon or. Uh, just the year before that, 2012, had the uh, Biomechanica project, which is Arturo Lanz and Francisco Lopez, who we, of course, have talked about on the show mm. numerous times. But that all that art just has a, it all has the right feel. But especially these covers from the 80s and and the way they're printed and the saturation, the color and, and the art itself, it just looks really great. This one always reminds me of that uh, held on record, uh, A Dream Without Consequence. Oh, Yeah. Gives, gives me a similar vibe to it. For some reason, it always makes me think of um, those Russian photographs that were kind of making the rounds on the internet, maybe about 2012 or so. They were all these uh, 
actual color photographs they found from Russia uh, that were like a hundred years old. And it was like the earliest color photographs. And one was in a machine room, very much like the one on the cover of Meccano Turbo. And it always reminds mm. me of that. Very cool. All right. Sick. I don't think I know Seat those. Seat of industrial. But hey, we're already getting into this record. And I think we need to talk about a little recent listening before we do. I don't think that would hurt anybody. Gray, what have you been listening to, man? Uh, let's see here. Where to even start? Uh, Sir Ashley Grove, the Nimply Power Sessions, parts one through seven on Siren, related to like Metgumner Bone and the New Black Haters and sounding very weird, machined, wasted, empty room atmosphere. Do you know this one? Whoa, what is that? That sounds really cool. <laughs> uh, Sir Ashley Grove. And that has something to do with Met Governor Bone or just your that's a touchstone. Your Sir Ashley Grove is a pseudonym of John Mylot from Montgomery Bone. Okay. Nice. And this material was recorded in nineteen eighty three, but restored and remastered in two thousand fifteen when it came out on CD. Awesome. If you were digging the Montgomery Bone thing uh we the collection we recommended that came out last year uh you might dig this that double cd that came out last year yeah yeah so so awesome so it's love it anthropological Amazing. field yeah. recordings for the dispossessed is that the name if i'm remembering yes. correctly mm -hmm. good job spot on, spot on name right on uh <laughs> i've been listening to a bunch more premature ejaculation uh wound of exit was the uh, was a new one I picked up, sort of in the process of researching for that episode we did, and uh, also still really cool. This one's a bit later. It's Roz in Paris who played in Shadow Project with him, and it's still killer. I have yet to hear any premature ejaculation stuff that I don't like, so I think that's really cool. I also remembered he had another band called EXP that was like sort of a God, experimental jazzy weird kind of thing uh i've been meaning to i heard a comp track on some cleopatra thing years ago but i've been meaning to check that out again i did not listen to it I not, didn't know about that. doesn't belong in recent listening uh it's your music to-do list robert and leopold put out a uh, speaking of francisco lopez earlier a francisco lopez tape for uh from materials from 1984 reworked and updated now and it's a, a weird one it's a cool tape uh robert leopold of course being ryan martin's label uh who also runs deus uh i really want to check that one out yeah it's up on Bandcamp, and i uh, highly recommend giving it a listen uh just to you know i i feel like i went years without listening to francisco lopez like heard stuff early on and then just kind of didn't pay attention. And now I'm really just embracing digging into it and listening to so much of it. And I, I play some, Fran I might not mention it every recent listening, but I play Francisco Lopez stuff every week. Like it's really good to work to, to zone out to. I find a lot of it uh, very strangely relaxing, even when there's sort of intense frequencies and stuff. So he's been on my, my, that's probably the one thing since the podcast I've, I've grown to listen to the most is Francisco Lopez. Cool. Which is straight, or at least over the last year. Awesome. Uh, and then Zophilia Instrumentalities, which is a collection of all their singles. Uh, I took that thing in the car and when I had a fair amount of driving to do. And I think I've listened to it like five times over now. And owning all the vinyl and, and being a fan of that project for a long time. It's nice to hear all these sort of single releases, the seven inches and a 12 inch and a 10 inch 
all put together and see the similarities and differences between them. And the 10 inch that was on uh, power and steel, I believe is one of my favorite recordings of theirs. It's super psychedelic and melted, not a psychedelic. I don't think is normally a way that you would think of like German heavy electronics, power electronics stuff. But this one is just like just warm hands all over your brain. It's really crazy. Well, Anesophilia has that foggy, Mm-hmm. slow element that sets sets it apart from from his other work and the other uh bands that they work that he works with. I definitely agree with that. I think this one the fog is lifted and everything is like slightly moving or 3D like shifted just a little bit uh and it's it's like disorienting now it's not hazy it's disorienting nice oh yeah that that cd is is classic and great to have like just like you said great having them all having them all on one disc and absorbing them that way is a is a is a good way to go yeah i saw your post on the noise group about that cd last week and it made me revisit the eps too and New World Disorder is just so good. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, a tribute to that. It's got that kind of almost 7-8 rhythm. Yes. It's not quite 4-4. Four, four. It's dun, 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 dun. So good. <laughs> yeah. I've, I. So that, that was the first of their records I heard, and it has stuck with me forever because it's such a powerful, powerful thing of like four – distinct tracks uh really love that one and uh, i really want to i want to revisit that one ep what what's it called the one that has the german title the one you were just talking oh, yeah, about uh descender mushenschwiegen i believe that's my bad attempt at german i need uh, to revisit that one it's that's that one is i i swear it is just a long time favorite and <sighs> it settles in like an acid trip when it starts going and it's really, it's comforting and disorienting and it's really, really weird. I remember the first time listening to it, being a little repelled by it a little bit because it was so different than other Nenzophilia stuff. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, I, I think that's maybe warranted and I can understand people not digging it for me. You know, one of the, one of the sort of topics that they play with a lot is, is like subjugation and mind control brainwashing and, and sort of things. And I feel like this record sounds like that the most, like these sounds could subliminally influence you to do things that you would not normally do. And I, (laughs) that's a cool way to feel about a piece of music. Totally. And also very nefarious way to feel about a piece of music. Uh, yeah. And, uh, the haters future cheers, which is a tape from 1986, but I believe it's getting a new edition soon. Uh, I'll leave it at that until it drops, but this one rules. Um, lots of broken glass and general haters junk sound. You know, sometimes you just gotta listen to the haters. It's like the only understandable. thing understandable. Yep. Kylie, what about you? What have you been listening to? Well, much like yourself, we've been listening to still in a premature ejaculation zone. Mm-hmm. Necessary discomforts and estimating the time of death have been 
getting a lot of play here. So it's been a, that was a, been a really cool zone to get into and stay in. And we've also been listening to Shane English. Little S English. Harris <laughs> album. Uh, that guy sucks. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> Gearing up for this episode. And man, love that album. Mm-hmm. I really love the the intro, the first track, and the I want to say it's uh room the room room to the room tonight maybe yeah man there's the atmosphere of those tracks are just so sick and we we really love the the lies compilation that compiles more of the ambient stuff and mm-hmm. I think that first track is on that compilation it might even oh, yeah, be just it, a, it might even be just a bandcamp compilation I don't know if it actually yeah. physically exists we love it yeah that was a that was a bandcamp compilation yeah. that Ron did it's so oh, collection great. x yep yeah that mm-hmm. which is just that that's one that's one where it's don't know what to listen to just throw that on cuz it's it's going to set a cool atmosphere but the full album, man. We really, really have been digging it. Yeah, and Latin title. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're asking for it, but um, Eris, I was, I was kind of. There's a loose concept to it, but it's referring to uh, the goddess deity of Discordianism, Eris. Oh, I thought it was going to be the exoplanetoid heiress, but no, that's exciting. So that's what the name is. And then I have a loose kind of concept about uh, mind control, government conspiracy that goes along with it. <laughs> been reading uh, been reading some Robert Anton Wilson lately? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love all of those things. Oh, hell yeah. I'm uh, holding up for you guys my original patch that's in the artwork for it. This is wow. a... Uh, this is a supposed real psyops, uh, like black project mission patch, uh-huh. and it says, "If I told you, you would have to be destroyed by me." And this is supposedly a real patch that people on some kind of black project mission would wear. But yeah, Eris uh, at the end is <laughs> part of the Latin. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's great. Trevor Pangolin from Noisegate wrote a book about those patches. That's exactly mm-hmm. what how I found out okay, about that. Yeah, patch. yeah, that's that book is oh, great. Yeah. We and, look uh, at that. Well, we used to look at it at Gray's house before we did episodes, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, his other book is called Blank Spots on the Map. Well, no, another book of his that I have read, which is about uh, classified spots hidden on have to they have to be hidden from maps. Mm-hmm. There's a site there, but it's not there, but it's there. That sounds wonderful. I highly recommend it and, and noise relations. So you should check out Trevor Penguin's books. <laughs> I will. Yeah, it's, it's like the legend of Bermeja Island. Does it exist or doesn't it? <laughs> Let's go find out. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Is that to wrap up the Connolly's listening? Yep. Yes. Well, Shane, what have you been playing? I saw a photo, so I know a little bit of what you've been playing. <laughs> well, today... I decided that it would be fun to just wait. It's my it was my day off today, so I woke up and just started listening to Splendor Geometrica all day, and decided to do everything chronologically up until Meccano Turbo. Oh, wow. oh cool! Oh, cool that's style. a great day. So I I held up, I I got done with Cosmos Kino about a 
two hours ago and then waited until about 45 minutes until we went on to put on right. Meccano. That's great. But that was amazing. Um, it had been a while since I just fully immersed myself. It's one of my yeah. favorite projects of all time, but it was really killer to kind of go back and hear some stuff that I hadn't listened to in a while. Uh, do you, for EG1, do you have a, do you have an OG tape or are you listening to the, the LP they reissued? I do. Um, I do have an original tape. <laughs> All right, yeah, killer. Wow, yes. look at that! I figured you might. That's uh, exciting. We're gonna have Shane back to talk about obscure tapes because he is on uh, the the handful of people list that I know have like some of the most insane obscure eighties and nineties tape knowledge, and uh, so we'll be back for maybe something slightly less familiar to our listeners' ears than a Splendor Geometrico. <laughs> I future. would absolutely love to do that. Yeah, there's Hell some, yeah. I, I it will happen <laughs> for sure. Uh what else you've been listening to lately? Yeah, so some non EG stuff. I just kind of um I decided to be completely honest and just go with my stack that's just out already for this week. Nice. This is killer. This is shame exposure bleeding nope. out. Should have been in my list. I just got that in the hunting lodge shack that Easy Listening did. So yeah, that's great. So yeah, it's uh was just recently unearthed um like master tapes they found from this guy that was a uh Michigan hunting lodge affiliate dude. I forget his name, who's slipping from me right now. But Shame Exposure is the project. They released one tape on Hunting Lodge's SM operations in eighty two, eighty three. But this thing that just came out was um found by the uh, original studio that he recorded with and was meant to be an LP at the time and then it just got scrapped. They found the master tapes in the last like couple years or so and they remastered it. It was a lot of material, but they picked what was best and then they released it as this full length bleeding out. So it's completely unheard material from this lost Michigan industrial project. It's it's really cool. Uh, the side A is like a really nice, punchy, classic, old school, industrial, Cabaret Voltaire, Dropping Gristle kind of thing. And obviously Hunting Lodge. And then side B is the title track, Bleeding Out. And it's got this really cool like um, MB, more atmospheric kind of side long thing going on hell yeah yeah it's good it's a it also comes with a cd of the material or cdr of the material uh so did the hunting lodge shack lp with with bonus tracks on both so there's even more material if you grab the lp it comes comes with the cd i think you can get hunting lodge shack and shame exposure uh for a bundle price too from easy listening's big cartel so that and uh let's see then the next thing on the stack I got this one a little bit more recently. I just got this one a few days ago. And this is a really beautiful package. But uh, Takashi Inagaki, music for the films of Takashi Ito. So Takashi Ito did incredible, like, 10, 15-minute long um, stop motion, like, surreal. They're kind of a mixture of actual live action and stop motion just beautiful short films experimental films but ever since i i started kind of finding those online and was just really admiring those i always wondered this music is just incredible like 
and it was just absolutely ungoogleable. I tried for mm-hmm. years to try to find who did the music because it's it's very much so in the same vein as other underground contemporary of the time '80s stuff like S core. It's not all like completely noisy and industrial kind of stuff. Some of it's very cosmic, but but anyway, I just I had been searching for this stuff for years, and just last year, just on a by complete coincidence, I think they uh, they released a Bruce Gilbert or a Mika Vinio tape, the same label, and that's the reason I ended up on their Bandcamp, and just there it was up for pre-order, music from <laughs> Takashi Ito, two LP one CD, like full on full collection of all the music. And it's just amazing. You writing about this recently caused me to buy it, but it has not shown up yet. <laughs> but I, I did, uh, I know some people, uh, say that, uh, we, we recommend too much stuff in recent listening and they have to go out and buy it. And, uh, just so you know, <laughs> that happens to me too. And I just bought this thing that Shane was talking about the other day. <laughs> so still, uh, you know. It's really quite worth it because this stuff was literally just non-existent to find before they did this release. And they the label is Purge. I think they're a UK label. My my record arrived from Portugal though, so I don't know what's up with huh. that. Um, but it's a beautiful screen printed um, sleeve. So the sleeve that the records sit in is screen printed like um, stills from the films. And then there's two Rizo print um, inserts with uh, quotes from the composer and then the filmmaker. Ah, it's just sounds really great. solid, really solid. Look forward to mine showing up. Sick. Well, we ended our preamble talking about the Splendor Geometrico cover art, and uh, we end our recent listening talking about the nice cover art on the, uh, was it Takashi Ito soundtracks? So the musical artist is Takashi Inagaki, but the... It's for the films of Takashi Ito. All right. I'll have to check out some of these films, too. I, I really just checked out the samples and went with it. But anyway, uh, I guess we could talk about Meccano Turbo now. Sounds like a plan. Let's. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it would have been, it, coincidentally, we all just listened to this record and took notes on it. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's a perfect wow, coincidence. Wow. It's a really good time to do that. To talk about <laughs> this is Splinter Geometrico record. I'm such a nerd that I actually went to Kinko's and printed out the note sheet. <laughs> oh, did wow. you notice my two typos? <laughs> I noticed one. <laughs> well, it'll be corrected. Not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fix it in post. <laughs> so, yeah. I had a lot of fun doing that, though. Yeah, it changes a record when you have to sit and take notes, huh? <laughs> it really does. <laughs> it was actually a really fun different experience especially an album like this that i've listened to so many times it was a really cool experience actually jotting down my thoughts about it each song yeah because so many times you like have a feeling especially something you've listened so much that you don't realize how ineffable your feelings are until you try to describe them verbally or in writing i got pretty technical with my notes i think (laughs) I was hoping well, like yeah. you guys would actually know, you know, the devices at play and uh, Shane, don't, were you like a, you were a classically trained drummer, right? Like if, if you had sheet music, you could play the drums. I was, yeah, I was, um, I was in band and I was in mm-hmm. percussion. So I did play 
like um keyboarded instruments too so and i could read music i hardly can anymore but yes i could at one point (laughs) i could at one point yes so you even know the theory behind a lot of these rhythms so you all bring much more than we mike and i at least (laughs) a bit yeah Uh, the core of learning drums at first when you're actually being trained is just learning all the rudiments and and that's definitely ingrained in my brain for sure do you find something like a Splinter Geometrical uses the uh, like proper principles of of rhythm assembly or whatever? I don't even know if I have the authority to call on that. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but yeah. but like I definitely think that the rhythms they're using are um, I don't know sophisticated for sure. It's like it's based in like Latin rhythm for sure. Yeah, I think we talked a little bit about, well, we talked about the Roland TR-626 uh, in our Trashware episode because I used to have one and it has the Latin kit on it. And there's even some sounds from that realm that I kind of recognize on this record, albeit distorted, phased, uh, mutated, delayed, whatever. Uh, I thought that was an, another interesting point. And so getting getting into it, it, you know, then, uh, then uh, Hugar... The first track, which translates to "come come to play," I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it starts with that sort of simple metallic rhythm and just sort of weird pitch shift uh, gunshot sounds come in shortly yeah. after. <laughs> it's it's the only way to describe them. I I, I assume they're gunshot sounds. We well, Tara and I were doing finger guns we at each other. We did so many finger uh, guns and dancing around. <laughs> so this, yes, they absolutely. To me, are. this is running through the jungle, panic, being chased by people with guns, and yeah. they're shooting you. This is you are in a jungle trap. I mean, you yeah. are. This is, and it's got that panic heart race. Yeah, the beat is really rhythm. like a driving beat. Like there's a lot of sense of urgency to this track. And certainly the bullets add a different dynamic to it or whatever you want to attribute to that sound. But uh, there are also like strange screams at different times. So I, I was just saying like, yeah, this track will keep me going at 3 a.m. You hear that and you certainly get that heart rate up. Uh, it's fun to move around to. So I don't know if I'm imagining this or not, but the title... Uh, Van Hagard come out to play is lifted off of a news article of the time. And it was a string of violent, like, like uh, people, uh, children getting caught in the crossfire, like at a, in a playground being shot. Whoa. Okay. This I, reminded, that, just, that changes everything. This reminded me and in my notes, I wrote Nitzareb twice in this song. Uh, both from the rhythm and the kind of the vibe and that total age, violent playground, like that, that vibe was, I didn't know this. And that vibe was being like transferred into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and violent playground. Yeah. That's it, really like, <laughs> it didn't, it didn't quite hit until you said that, but now it's like, Oh, that makes, that makes so much sense. That's wow. Yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. So what I wrote for this track is I wrote perfect rhythm first <laughs> because mm-hmm. this has this track has to be just that opening hit of the rhythm it literally is one of my most favorite absolute favorite patterns ever 
So I wrote mm-hmm. down perfect, perfect rhythm, raw passion vocal, which was strange. Arturo had taken a couple albums off of not of doing vocals. And this was the first appearance of him doing vocals again. And this time it was, comp- it's pretty dry. There's absolutely no effects on it at all. It's straight raw screaming from him. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. Especially the vocals since- are really strange on this. They're like really because while there might not be heavy effects on it, the they are tortured and and just it's just they're just weird. They're strange vocals. They are very weird. Um, and then I wrote ricochet phased hits, use of stereo spectrum exhaustion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. There's a lot of those gunshot sounds, and there's also this really crazy ricochet sound that kind of spins around, and it's it's very phased and goes left to right really quickly. Then I guess when I wrote the exhaustion part, at the very end, you'll know what I'm talking about. He does one last final, ah, but you can tell his, like, his vocal cords are nearly going out. <laughs> he, he blew them out uh, in the in the in the one session. It's also it exhausting in that sort of frantic EBM way, you know, like that. Oh, I think frantic is definitely a word that was written down multiple times. It, yeah this this whole album is very kinetic. Like the different types of movement are, you know, pronounced in each track. Absolutely, a few different times I wrote down um, sense of forward motion. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very, yeah, absolutely. It, is, it is a constant driving forward throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. And then we come up on the second piece, Rotor. And this one <laughs> immediately reminded me of that uh, that Yellow song. You know, oh, yeah. Really? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow, that, the well, bass in it kept like just giving me that vibe, really funky. Oh, wow, and weird it's funny. Bass. I mentioned I mentioned something about the bass too, and <laughs> I couldn't put words to it. It's funny you mentioned that because Yellow uses that similar like um, mid range, uh, like rolling implied bass line. It's yes. not like an out. Mm-hmm. It's not an outright bass line. It's like it's got this. It's got this weird. <laughs> And it's really funky and badass, but it's not even really a note. It's like more <laughs> yeah. of like press, pressure or something. Yeah, this this <laughs> had that like full on it. But then there's there's like a it sounds kind of like a cowbell. And it might be a cow like a shortened cowbell on a drum machine that's being used. And then all these sort of like weird scritching sounds, but they keep building up. It keeps sort of like crescendoing in the piece. And I, I thought that was a very Again, that sense of movement is really, really evident here. I meant to, um, I, after we did Trashware, I I was like in disbelief that I didn't mention this before, while we were doing that, but they most definitely used the Casio RZ1. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that that, that cowbell in uh, Rotor is the cowbell from the RZ1. <laughs> nice. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> We used it a lot and didn't even realize that his splendor had used it. And then we just figured it out one day <laughs> that that drum machine is amazing. And it makes so much sense that they would use it because it had really great eight core sounds to it. 
but then it had four really primitive sampler pads where you could actually sample your own things into. Oh, and nice. you could see how they, they obviously were utilizing that probably on this record too. Yeah, that makes I, sense. I, the crude sampling is really, uh, it makes a lot of sense in conjunction with the sounds because while there are plenty of drum sounds, you know, normal distorted drum sounds, there's also got to be some sample stuff going on there. Yeah, that grunt was just like getting us. We were actually, you know, running around kind of air humping to this great song. And uh, it reminds me of Ninos to Brazil. Like definitely that kind of like fun driving something. Like if you heard this playing and you were out in public, you would be jumping up and down. So I had in my my mental notes during the episode Knowing we were going to do this, I was I made a bet with myself to see how long one of us would go without mentioning Ninos and, <laughs> and, Not long. and track two. So this is there it's is exotic there is, and grunty. I love it. There's multiple yeah. points in this record that definitely made us think of Ninos, yeah. and this track especially is really yeah. where it came. I absolutely. Was, this yeah, one. yeah, that's amazing. That's really funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they're they're so great, but I but I was. Picturing them actually, mm-hmm. I was closing my eyes and seeing the the confetti and them going around doing this. But but yeah, it just has that, that just that rhythm that gallop. Yeah, yeah. Who's that, Senorita? She's right here, <laughs> next to me. Oh, you're that Senorita. I think this senorita is like uh, on a crowded train, you know, kind of <laughs> like clickety clacking across a long expanse of, you know, ground. Funny you say that. I wrote buried and strangely affected vocal, maybe with a phone call, <laughs> what, with train track hats introduced with mm-hmm. controlled feedback. I I like train. I like phone call. I this one to me felt like two songs, try like trying to pull each other in a different direction. Like every the the bass rhythm and then the there's like another rhythm that comes in over top of it that doesn't quite feel like it fits, but it does perfectly. It's just stands out there and it it really felt like two songs at the same time which could be that sort of like focusing on your surroundings and then focusing on your phone call and then focusing on your surroundings not that cell phones were i think that prevalent in 1988 but they're real big (laughs) big old bag phone yeah big long antenna i thought this track is is really one of the weirder ones on the record it's uh it's got the in-your-face rhythmic, like, banger kind of thing going on. But it also has, like, really muffled uh, vocals. And the vocals, I thought, were just really strangely affected. It's like you can't really mm-hmm. tell what, what's going on at all. Yeah, I thought the vocals were even ominous. Like, I, again, on couldn't get the train out of my head. I was like, if you're on, like, an urban train and people are having strange conversations and you don't understand anything that they're discussing, it's a bit like that. Who's that senorita is also an extremely like uncharacteristic title for a splendor. It's such a strange yeah. title. It's very weird. They're usually this stoic, brutalist, mm-hmm. like yeah. it's like then this who's that senorita? I don't know, it's pretty weird. 
And I keep thinking of like Madonna, who's that girl? Yeah. Like, it keeps going through my mind, but it's who's that senorita? Uh, I mean, that that's means- didn't cross my mind, but I think it makes a nice kind of sense. Who's I that mean- girl meets La Isla Bonita? Yes. <laughs> the next track is probably might be my favorite track on the Oh, interesting. Hmm. I really like the atmospheric and patient quality to this. This is the first three tracks are the rhythms are much more forward in the front tough but when you get to this track chic there's a pulling back and there's a kind of patient slower and lower rhythm that I really enjoyed. And maybe it was just the placement of this track. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was kind of like you needed to pull things back a little bit. Yeah. It brings an organic element uh, to the table that wasn't, you know, that prominent before. The first thing I wrote down was relaxed, but with tense atmosphere. Definitely. As Rob Buttram from Filth would put it, tough, but chill. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, Rob. Ah, uh, Rob's great. But I also, after getting done listening to it, realized, especially since listening to everything leading up to this this morning, chronologically or whatever, that really Chic is pretty much is the very first time we're getting any kind of laid back atmosphere from a Splendor. It's it's the very first time you're not up front. Not only in the album, but you did the discography, so. For me, it was three tracks until to get this point. For you, it was albums and tapes and albums until you get to this track. Right. I mean, yeah, the first three, and then this track is the first, you know, more chill atmosphere track, but it literally, they hadn't even touched on this at all in their whole creative output at this point. Yeah, I think not only is it more relaxed, it's darker in tone. You know, the the change in vibe is evident not only in momentum but in it feels a lot more sinister i guess it's maybe it's the sort of collapsing synth and the weird sort of brassy bleeps in the track for lack of a better term uh it's it's really sparse and then it has that uh like affected singing too right there's vocals on this track but they're they're filtered through something (laughs) I wrote um, stringed instrument motif, uh, definite Arab Arabic influence, um, uh, excellent timpanis. There's an amazing timpani sound that comes in, um, and then the longing vocal. Yeah, there's a really yeah. long longing mm-hmm. vocal. I love I love those vocals. I I I feel like there's a point in many industrial bands careers where they get into like world music oh for sure right especially especially this is completely period appropriate to the late 80s is Mm -hmm. when a lot of the like classic industrial artists were toying with the ideas of like world music and more tribal atmosphere and stuff well everything was becoming easily accessible um whereas you know, it, it hadn't always been. But we did read an interview with Arturo 
uh, and he he kind of discusses this. He says, we use a lot of voices in the music that are political, Muslim people, Tibetan people, even Che Guevara. We introduce this in the music because of the sound, not because of some political ideas. It's the sound and the power of the sound. These transfer to people in different ways and they interpret them different ways. For me, it's nice because people take the music and the music is made for them. It's amazing. So yeah, he's like think, intentionally vague. <laughs> he is totally vague. There's actually, I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, there's a great interview with him with Red Bull Music Academy. It's at, It wasn't online for a long time. Me and Jonah caught it like when it was like just a few days old. I think it came out in about 2011 or 2012 or so. But he mm-hmm. did a full on like lecture for Red Bull Music Academy. It's now on YouTube. He says some pretty amazing stuff in that. And that's totally live on YouTube right now. Anyone can go awesome. look at it. Shane, when did you come to Esplendor Geometrico? I thought about that a lot today because I figured you might ask that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I think the very first time I ever even saw the name, I was an avid follower of, I was a hugely into the mid, mid-2000s, late-2000s blog, like bootleg blog scene. Um, and then my, you know, one of the most, you know, prominent ones that was doing stuff that I was interested in was mutant sounds. Um, and they just put, they, they kind of started out in like 2006 or so. And it was mainly like, like their header had the nurse with wound list, like as the header. So it was like really, really weird prog kind of stuff at first. But they also were doing minimal synth stuff and early industrial stuff kind of eventually. And then I remember one day they just posted a Splendor EG1 as one of their uploads. And I had just never heard of it. And it was like for fans of, you know, early industrial Cabaret Voltaire, Darby Gristle, you got to check this out. I just heard it. And I was like, I just can't, I just couldn't believe that. At that point in like the mid 2000s, I was... I thought like a pretty knowledgeable <laughs> about industrial music kind of person. I loved Coil and Cabaret Voltaire, Throbbing Gristle. And I just couldn't believe that um, I had somehow missed an early pioneer of industrial music. I was just blown away. I think, you know, the, the, by the time Mutant Sounds was really going, I had lost a lot of interest in sort of MP3s, I guess, or whatever, you know, like file sharing stuff. Uh, but I think that mutant sounds and some of the minimal synth stuff that was going on and getting posted around there is directly responsible for the resurgence we've seen and reissues of a lot of that stuff and getting people to hear it, who then had the power to spread the word about it, who got it to someone who had the power to get in touch with or reissue or to let these people know maybe who are making albums 40 years ago that someone actually still cared about some weird hundred copy LP or tape or whatever they made way back when. And so uh, I know here we always encourage to support the artists directly. The labels go to Bandcamp, get that stuff. In some cases, that's simply not possible. And it's impossible. And, and for me, it's impossible to deny the importance of a place like mutant sounds for the pro- 
proliferation of music knowledge back then. And earlier when I was mentioning how, you know, you're one of the deepest uh, tape heads I know in terms of like obscure stuff, Mutant Sounds was running through my head when I was thinking about that because it was one of those places where it's like there's stuff you've never heard of there there's stuff you think you know yeah you think you know obscure stuff and then you know with this connectivity and internet and information with the information age we've been able to track down and find a lot more of this kind of stuff but it started somewhere and that's that's one of those places for me that it that it really started exactly like what you just said the first time i went on mutant so- sounds and started reading the descriptions I thought to my, I thought I was some music nerd, and then I read a description, and it was like, I don't even, dis- I don't even know what they're comparing this record to. <laughs> like, I don't even know what they're talking about. So it was, it was a really amazing jumping off point to I to e- delve even further into the rabbit hole of, you know, uh, ancient experimental music, which I've continued down today. But yeah, that's how I first heard of Splendor. And then from there, I just got completely obsessed and just sought out anything that I possibly could. Did you see them when they played the States? I know Gray did. I did not, unfortunately. <laughs> and I'm really bummed about that. We, we, Me and Jonah had tentative plans to go together when they played L.A., but I unfortunately couldn't figure it out in time. But Jonah did go, and he reported back. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was gonna say I remember, you saw both, you I remember saw both seeing shows? Jonah there. Uh, I saw, saw both LA and New York. And those are there was the only two shows, right? Yeah, I think so. And how were they live? Uh, fully energetic and entertaining. I mean, it's Severio at a laptop at Arturo putting on a show, uh, basically. It, live. Was it, I mean, did mm-hmm. it sound like? This album, what, oh, they what sounded was... pretty killer. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, they played at Jules Catch One in L.A., so the sound there is not my favorite. Uh, it was a part of Doss Bunker, which I talked about in our listener Q and A stuff, of course. And in New York, I can't remember where the show was, but the sound was was noticeably better, less less muffled stuff. And they played with Dive. You know, Dirk Ivans from nice. Clinic Absolute Body Control and Sonar, the yes. did a while ago. Um, yeah, the shows were great and entertaining and loud. They played for a long time uh, and played some stuff I recognized and some stuff I absolutely had no clue <laughs> what it was, of course, which I think is kind of what you want when you go to see something like that. Like the crowd was into it and, and seemed pretty amped. So, yeah. The. Next track now we Tara of course always likes to dig into titles and references, and she was like, "Do you think this is a reference to the King Crimson guitarist Adrian Bello?" And I said, "I doubt it. I don't know." <laughs> but hey, hey, yeah. any ideas? <laughs> it's just I an odd word. No idea what they're he talking did, about. He yeah. did more than just King Crimson. Oh, yes, he did all, obviously, all sorts obviously of produced things. Twitch. I mean, yeah. he obviously did a lot of stuff, but. Not sure what exactly this title is a reference to, but this just has that forceful, just for force pushing you forward. Piston, I think, is the the movement you're making with your that is hand. What I'm, that I is the word I was easy. actually trying to <laughs> yes. find, and this I one's couldn't very find pistony. it. It's very yes, pistony. Thank you. 
It's thank you, Shane, and thank you, Tara. It's like future industrial. It's not like past old scummy. It's like the industry of the future. It's very pneumatic piston. And it even you even hear that like that breath, the synthesized breath in between the lunges. What I wrote is main rhythm is filtered through 0.01 digital delay. So it's got that super comb, claustrophobic, uh, super short delay filtered on that first couple rounds of the rhythm. And then phased dentist drill stabs is what I wrote next. Oh, yeah. I like I like the weird stabs. Uh, there's also... That this like sixteenths that are just like kind of flanged and ticking around there it almost sound like a weird like a I don't know it's like a weird glass tube sound that comes in a little bit on it. But the yep. whatever the snare is on this just sounded oh like someone god. slapping bricks together. Oh my god! I wrote <laughs> improvised synthetic white noise snare slams. <laughs> it's wild. Wait, I just, you know what? I bet it is the Baloo. I bet, I wonder if it's a weird spelling of bellow, like bellows, because it has that pumping air thing going oh, on. Oh, maybe, yeah. I'm wondering if that's, because that's, you know, like Meccano with the K, like, I wonder if that's not like the reference that they're using Maybe. Here. You know, it's the only lyric I could make out is that word the throughout the entire piece. I think it's just repeated and repeated Hello, and repeated. Below, yeah. 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 And the, the drums are really rolling on this one. I mean, a couple of these have this, I talked about it maybe in the Sonar episode, the clinic's rolling drums like Mark Verhagen's drum programming circular Tom Tom's mantra. Yeah. Circular is a very good word I have rolling, which I guess circular and rolling would go quite well together for that. So yeah. Yeah. It's got a real hypnotic, um, just circular, just it's just, you really can get into it and like lose yourself in it. Oh, totally. And then, we come up to the longest river in Russia. Wow, is that what Volga is? Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly what they're referring to, but it is like known as like Russia's main river. And so I just went with that when Tara told me that. And so for me, this whole track was a, a flowing, snaky river, snaking beats with. Bursts of flames and streams going from bank to bank over the river, coming up from under the water. I just went with this river motif for this track, and I, I loved it. I think this one had this, uh, like, it's sort of like an alien's idea of a, of a Latin percussion kit on it. This is the one where I really heard a lot of the sort of more typical... Latin drum kit sounds like a timbale and a, a guiro or whatever, like, but but mutated <laughs> in some weird way. And you say river, and I have I did note sort of like the rolling wave of drums in this one that is very propulsive. So I can see that being the uh, the current of the river really carrying it through. And there's like a weird. Uh, it felt like a musical like tape overlay, like just playing a, a source tape you had prepared of some weird bit of like, you know, that, that driving through the neighborhood, catching a glimpse of the music sort of thing, but as a, on a loop. Yes. 
and I've I've dug that a lot. And I, cable buzz as an instrument, I definitely heard in this one too, where there's there's sort of a that broken up cable open cable sound. Ooh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I heard that too, and I what, for some reason it popped in my head that uh, it sounded like force field sounds coming through. Like if your hand gets too close to a force field, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens only a few sound. times. Just <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's definitely that controlled feedback you're talking about. Yeah, I I thought it had like the, some sputtering quality, like if you were on a train and it was powered by coal, and then it made these popping sounds. Uh, that I really enjoyed that little those little electronic pops but uh it was really fun looking up volga because we discovered the volga maniac a new serial killer i didn't know about he primarily was around the volga river and he killed like 32 senior citizen women whoa yeah he was finally caught in like the year um 2020 like he was recently caught but wow you so know, this is like when were the murders Starting in like 2011, there was first noticed, but again, could have been going on for a really, really long time because they attributed many of their deaths to like natural causes because they were mostly elderly women living alone. Uh, and wow. it was mostly around this river. So the Volga maniac. Ah, Chickatilla played the river. around the dawn, right? It's a good, yeah. it must be a good spot in Russia to commit murder <laughs> by the water. Those extra is not responsible for any murders you commit by the water. I think we're still by the river with this next track. The next the transmission. Because the wind is what drives this to me. Yeah, I was just full on wind blowing, wind first shaking thing I wrote, the drum machine. First thing I wrote is dusk atmosphere. <laughs> dusk. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's got that, that off-kilter rhythm, but it is really open air. Like this one, if it has the it does have the proper feeling of being outside in the wind, in the breeze. And drifting on over is uh some like Arabic singing. Actually I believe Armenian. Uh Armenian I singing. I couldn't quite place I couldn't quite place the language. Uh, well I looked up the artist credited to it and they were in a trio with uh, a couple of Armenian men and they're at least one seven inch. So that is that is my best guess. That is not uh, so Oh nice. Yeah. I only saw it attributed as Arabic, but yeah. Great. I wrote sor- sorrowful singing. Sorrow. I love yeah. I love the way the vocals flutter around the the whole track. I think yeah, it's, so it's nice. even almost like the the they're nostalgic. You know, they're they're flying around. It's dusk, but you also have that like more mid paced rhythm. So it is it does take your mind and and into darker places. Insistent wood blocks. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wrote distant melted string instrument. There was some kind of really strange instrument in the background that I definitely couldn't place, but what I decided to say is melted string instrument. I think melted works. It's one of my favorite adjectives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then a little haunted creaking. I didn't note the creaking on it, actually. I'm normally a big fan of the creaking. There's a little, <laughs> bit, of, there's a little bit of creaking at the end. 
I feel like this track had all of that in it. And this maybe would have been, to me, this and Chic were probably the ones that hit me the most. And I think it's because of that atmospheric mm-hmm. element that both those these tracks have. And and yes, the the sorrowful, nostalgic qualities, the creaking. Yeah, the it was wind like they're blowing. a little they're emotional. I like it. Yeah. Less cold, mechanical, industrial. Yeah, maybe that's the thing. Yeah. Maybe the maybe these two tracks are maybe human. Most they're they're their cold industrialness is, you know, that is a, spe- a Splendor Geometrical, but these tracks maybe break away a little bit from that. Totally. It is and, kind of the first time they're showing emotion in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when you put them next to the other tracks, it, it really even makes them stand out more. So it's like your your little emotional haven and then back into it. Yeah. And then back into full on Meccano Turbo. I mean, we, we really get back into it. <laughs> Look, it's the title track for a reason. Okay, it's it's it is. I like that it's the last track too. It's, mm-hmm. I like that yeah. you waited for it. It's yep. the longest track on the album, <laughs> clocking in around seven minutes, and it is definitely the harshest track. This says. This has the most noise on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely out of this the noise track. You know, they're really there. There is full on noise layers. There is layers. They are competing with each other. So like the noise seems to be competing with the drums. And then there's vocals that seem to be competing with all of it. And then it's all competing together. And and it creates this just real heavy industrial track. I love this track. Yeah. I've always thought about this song seems like it's in one of those jet engine test capsules for aerodynamics. <laughs> like you're just trapped in this extremely loud room when there's no escape. And it's just, yeah. Overwhelming sense of high volume is what I wrote. And it gets louder as <laughs> it, it goes I on. Loved, it gets I love the it's volume increase. It's so through, good. It's pushed through like a cheap mic. Everything feels like it's on the point of a, a thin diaphragm cracking and it falling apart. And it starts to, as the piece progresses, it gets nastier and more degraded and not just distorted, but like like broken up, really, really crumbling apart as it goes on. And, and just, I mean, at the end of a seven minutes, it just fizzles to the end of the piece. It's yeah. at the end, the end of the album. Mm-hmm. It's so damn cool. It's almost like they're using a, a Radio Shack mic, like the one I'm using. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The glorious Radio Shack mics. Yeah, I mean, look, they great for noise, those mics. And it really, yeah, I mean, this is just full on broken was a word I had down for this too, Gray. I mean, it's this is broken industrial noise. Just yep. wow. The last thing I wrote down for the track right at the end as it's decaying, like you, you just said, Gray, I wrote wind blown deterioration. Yeah, it is. It's it's howling and cracking up and falling apart. And it sounds beautiful. This is probably mm-hmm. my favorite track, although I, Chic is really very much my vibe, too. Uh, the whole record is a killer. I, uh, I was thinking about a Splendor Geometrical and, you know, 1980s a pretty early time to sort of start a project in this vein and to continue. They've embraced a lot of different 
technology. And of course, in the 80s, they did a bunch of vinyl. And in the 90s, they did a bunch of CDs. And then the, the 2000s saw a return to vinyl with uh, that being obviously a more popular format. And they were asked in this uh, Secret 13 interview, uh, Severio was answering the questions and uh, asked about uh, technology. And I really like this quote because uh, like when I saw them, they were using a laptop and it sounded like a Splendor Geometrico, like it doesn't matter what the thing is, I think, in, in some of this stuff. Uh, technology is fundamental for us. We are not musicians, so electronic instruments are indispensable. Without them, we would not have existed. Uh, obviously, when we began, technology was mainly analog, and today it is mainly digital, and we use it the same intuitive way. We have a very elementary approach to technology. For us, an instrument is just an instrument. I like that. Just like it doesn't matter. They they weren't purists about what they had. They were probably buying the newest drum machine they could get every time they upgraded something. And when that they became were. a computer, that yeah. that was the thing. Yeah. So you and you feel that that sense of not kind of living in the past with it and continuing to push forward. You could say it's futurist. Hey, you could. <laughs> think you think you might well be able to. <laughs> Uh, but they, there was another great quote, actually, in that same interview uh, where they were asked how they would describe their music. And he said, to be honest, we don't have an exact label to describe our music. But what do you think about electronic primitivism? Hey, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. And I, it really fits with how crude and rudimentary yet strangely refined these pieces are. In that uh, interview I talked about with the Red Bull Music Academy. Um, there's a point at which the interviewer is uh, directing a lot of questions about in industrial music to Arturo, and he stops, stops them and says, uh, we're, we may have been influenced at first by industrial music, but his blender's not, is, uh, is not industrial music. It's meditation music. <laughs> Yay! I like that. I heard him describe it as physic, like um, it's it's like a, a healing potion or, you know, some sort of medicine. Like he's he's not trying to be anything other than than physic. Not political. Beautiful. I like that. Well, hey, we called it industrial throughout this whole episode. Sorry, guys. It's industrial to us, but it is industrial. <laughs> yeah, it and is. starting out in, in interviews, so you know, many pistons. Throbbing Gristle and Cabaret Voltaire were influences for Splendor Geometrico. They were obviously one of the first sort of big names out of Spain doing this sort of stuff and to make a make a real impact on the scene. And the label Discos Splendor Geometrico, uh, Discos Splendor Geometrico, putting out lots of great stuff and sort of affiliated things. Where if you want a portrait of the Spanish underground of the time, you, you, this is a great place to start and then look outwards. Um, their label, I mean, they they were so much more than just even being indust like industrial music pioneers to Spain. They were they were like one of the very first independent electronic artists out of Spain. It, they were completely foundational to a whole group of younger artists that like um, took their lead. And I'm very much obsessed with all of the um, the spider web that like goes out of the family tree of a splendor. Also, um, I'd love to come on again and talk about some of that. <laughs> oh, 
we'd be we'd be happy to have you. Love uh, it. We would love that because that's certainly stuff that I know Tara and I are totally unfamiliar yep. with. So it would be really cool to learn about learn about that stuff. And while the label was maybe dormant for I think a, a little while, there there's a shop in Madrid. Uh, I visited there. I guess it would be six years ago now. Uh, last time I was in Madrid, five or six years ago, and there is there isn't a Splendor Geometrico record store, uh, which carries stuff from the label and a lot of noise, experimental, industrial, and a lot of minimal synth type stuff. Cool. So if you're ever in Madrid, you can you can go check that out. I bought a T-shirt there, of course. Awesome. <laughs> I was just grabbing this. Um... This came out on Disco's Splendor G Mexico, and it's uh, called Four Grupos de Barcelona. Okay. And uh, it was all like very young bands that a Splendor wanted to highlight. And this is just a oh, really cool. incredible record. That's from the mid 80s? That is from 1985. So that's like even before Meccano even came out. They were actively wow. in- involved in um, uh, bringing up like uh, younger artists around them even then. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Very cool. And I mentioned uh, Francisco Lopez in this episode. Splendor Geometrico and Francisco Lopez are both on that EGK compilation from 86, which has a ton of Spanish bands on it. Uh, it's got Rafael Flores. It's got uh, La Otra Cara de Unardin. And uh, that's another killer. Like, the, the lines between this stuff of, like, Splinter Geometrico and Francisco Lopez being on a tape comp in 86. That that Spanish scene wasn't very big. It makes a lot of sense that they would, you know, work together and or, and wind up on things together. Uh, one of the coolest things I'm maybe one of the coolest things I've found collecting wise during lockdown in 2020 in general was this project called Polidrico. And he was um I believe from Barcelona. He was a teenager, like 14 years old in Spain, and did very much so a Splendor-style stuff. And I got, miraculously, I got um, his first four original tapes last year. So (laughs) Sick. That is cool. Your tapes must be organized. You are pulling things out way too fast. Are, Are you an alphabetical man? You genre? What do you do? I'm a straight alphabetical man <laughs> nice yeah I, everything has to be alphabetical i'm like there is no way you can just pull a tape out <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that unless you had something going on our listeners can't see this but we are he has watching a, him just quickly look back grab a tape boy on a you, big stack too ask yeah. asking one of us to grab something it's like yeah you gotta give me yeah, an give hour me i gotta dig through i gotta there's some boxes there's i some, gotta there's find some, there's a couple rows of things i need to pull out and Look at that. Yeah, another one, just I want to highlight real quick, because we're just talking about peripheral Spanish Esplendor-related stuff, mm-hmm. is a Funeral Souvenir. Okay. Which is... Which is Great Mi- name. Miguel. Yeah, this is a one-off release, and this is the only time he ever used this uh, project name. This was recently released on, uh, like, reissued on vinyl, I think, last year. But this is Miguel Ruiz. Okay. I have some of his tapes and, uh, otherwise, not not under that name. And it's just phenomenal. And it's very derivative of a Splendor, kind of, especially in this this particular 
uh, release, but it's just amazing. <laughs> Heck yes. Well, we definitely well, cool. need to do a full episode where we <laughs> dig in. That would be so cool. I'd love to mm-hmm. love to check some of this stuff out. Would love to. My my main thing that I I think that is my specialty, quote unquote, is French industrial. So I would love to go there with y'all at one point. Hey, we. sounds like a plan. Yeah. Oh, Tara just said we. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a sentence, but instead you were. No. I like yeah. it. <laughs> I like it. Well, I think this was a really killer record and just another facet of noise and industrial music that, you know, fits into the greater picture of all this stuff that uh, that we talk about. Obviously, a Splendor Geometrical has been on our list to, to cover since the inception of Noise Extra and... Gray had always said that you would be a really cool person mm-hmm. to talk about a Splendor Geometrical with. So I'm glad that we got to do it with yeah, you. Yeah, he really was cool. correct. He was absolutely <laughs> yes. correct. Hey. And I can't wait to hear about all of the tendrils that a Splendor has provided. I would love to do that. And I'm very honored to be uh, the first guest talking about a Splendor and on uh, Noise Extra. It was very oh, yeah. fun. Heck, heck yes. Well, thank, thank you so, so much, much. We will, of course, have links to Shane's music. Anything just special you think people should check out? Coming out or coming up? You got now is the time. Is there anything that the people need to know about? Well, I do have a like a band camp right now, and it's just S English at Bandcamp. That has all of my solo stuff. I play with Corporate Parks, my group, but I just have the solo albums up there right now. And over the last couple of Bandcamp days, I have thrown up a couple of um, unreleased tracks kind of things. So those are up there. Um, besides that, I'm working on maybe doing a new album this year. And that will be, you know, several months down the line. But look out for that. I do run a YouTube channel, too. And it's called Helie is the username. H-E-L-I-A-E. Just YouTube Helie. And that's where I upload all my super nerdy tape stuff that I collect. We will have links up to the band camp so everyone go directly support mm-hmm. Shane. And of course, Shane's stuff on Lies. As we all love Ron... Morelli and Love Lies. So absolutely, the record Tara and I were talking about is a Lies album. Fantastic! Everyone needs to check it out. Thank you. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over seventeen years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. And thank you to our new patrons: Sam Risser, Kel Ganser. Andrew, Mark Anderson, Justin Reed, DM, Mummel75, Ian Franklin, S. Craig Zoller, Mineral Resource, Bosch Jurd, Pear, Tim Warner, and Scott Lindsay. We really appreciate the support. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at Noise Extra, with three A's at the end. 
Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.